So this morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verse 15. And the title of today's teaching is Grace, Freedom from the Law. And that's where we're going to start at. The blessings that come from God can only come through God's unchanging promises. God's promises are dependent on God's character and not our ability. Aren't you glad of that? Right. Paul teaches the Galatians that believers are justified by Jesus Christ alone and not by the works of the law. And now we'll clearly see Paul's training as he will use human illustrations to demonstrate the priority of the promise over the, the promise that was given to Abraham over the law that was given to Moses. And Paul teaches that we are justified in our faith through Christ. And Paul reminds the Galatians that in three, from verse 3, chapter 3, verse 1, that they received the Spirit by believing what they had heard, not by the law. And it says this in Romans 10, 17, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. He also reminds them that they're heirs of Abraham, which they are heirs of the faith, and that works are under the law, were under a curse. But Paul takes the time in this letter to show the Galatians the relationship between God's promises and God's law. Christ has redeemed them from the curse of the law and that even Gentiles could receive the promises from the Spirit through faith. In our passage, Paul explains that as a human rules and laws do not create obedience. They don't create obedient people. Rules can only cannot fix things. They are merely designed to guide us and direct us. And then in verse 11, he says this, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. And that's how we live by faith, isn't it? A person is not justified. A person is justified through their faith in Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, not by the works of the law. Now, our faith is a logical faith, and it can be defended on rational grounds, and that's what Paul is going to do. While there are divine mysteries in the faith that no one can fully explain, there are also divine reasons that any sincere person can understand. According to a human perspective, Paul uses a common situation to help the Galatians understand this argument. And we know that Paul has received his education as a rabbi from the learned and respected Gamaliel. And he was trained as a Jewish rabbi and he was fully equipped to argue this law. He was a leading Pharisee and he celebrated the law. He was a knowledgeable person in the law, wasn't he? He was all about the law. And like, like a lawyer, Paul's going to plead his case. Now in these verses, Paul will make statements that will help us understand and them understand the relationship between God's promises and his law. God gave promises to Abraham and his offspring without demanding anything in return. Abraham simply believed and God gave. And that's with us today. We believe in Jesus Christ, and we receive that grace from God. 
And the first thing that God is referring to, that Paul is referring to, is that the promise to Abraham that to him all the nations would be blessed on earth. In Genesis 12, 1, it says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make you a great name, and you will be a blessing. The word, I will. God says it four times in that passage of Scripture there. God invited Abraham to be part of God's story and his plan of redemption. The Christian life has always been a life of faith, and it's been that way since the very beginning. The promise involved being justified by faith, not works. And it's obvious that the promise to Abraham and through Christ to us today that believers are justified in our faith in Jesus. But the Judaizers implied that the giving of the law changed the original covenant. And Paul will argue it did not. It did not change it. And that when we trust and put our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, for eternal life under his lordship, that we will be saved. Now, if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 3, verse 15, and it says this. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so is in this case. I think it's important for us to to recognize these first couple words that Paul's using there. He's calling them brothers and sisters. Now, there were obviously some opponents there in Galatia. They were, it was probably, he was being confronted by these people, and it probably wasn't real safe for them. But he persuaded them by calling them brothers and sisters in Christ. He was showing love. He was speaking to them in love. And I think that's important for us when we share our faith nowadays, that we share it in love. We don't come at them with a Bible and start thumping them and hammering them. We show them in love like Paul is doing. It's very important. As he was confronting them, he made sure that he was calling them brothers and sisters in Christ. This human illustration that involved this making of this covenant was like a last will and testament. And Paul is saying in this verse that the covenant that God made with Abraham was complete when it was given and that nobody can annul it and nobody can add anything to it at all. Begin with when two people or two parties make an agreement, they come to it, it is binding. A third party cannot come along years later and change that covenant. The covenant is a written agreement. Basically, it's simply a contract that you make. The Bible says the conditional promises made to humanity by God as revealed in Scripture, the agreement promises between God and his people. The only person who can change that original agreement are the people who made it. So because God's unchanging character, we can be certain and confident of his promises. A promise from God is not based, a promise from God is based on his faithfulness, not on ours. Aren't you glad of that? I sure am. I can tell you that because if it was based on me, we'd be in trouble, right? But in verse 16, we see a sudden shift. Paul's going to shift from that, and he's going to go to the promise with his reference to Abraham and his seed. And it says this, The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say 
to seeds, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. God made this covenant promise with Abraham. This is important. It's important to note that Abraham did not make a covenant with God, that God did not lay down any conditions for Abraham to meet because he said, I will. God made this covenant. In fact, this covenant was ratified when Abraham was asleep. Abraham was asleep. In Genesis 15, 1, it says this, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. In Genesis 15, 12, it says, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And God made this promise to Abraham then. This was a covenant of grace. And Paul reveals another wonderful truth in verse 16. He says, The promises were spoken to Abram and to his seed. God didn't say, follow these rules and I will give you a seed through whom all the nations will be blessed. This was a promise from God, and it's not based on Abraham's moral decisions, right? Because we all know Abraham didn't probably make the best decisions, did he? He made some poor choices, just like we do. We make poor choices as well. And God was not saying, it's based on what you do. No, it's based on God's character and his promise to him. And God made this promise to Abraham and to Christ. The Bible concept of the seed is referenced in a singular. It's seed, not seeds, not to the people of Israel, but to Jesus, the seed. And God made this covenant promise to Abraham through Christ. And the only two parties that could change this is God the Father and Jesus the Son. Moses could not alter this covenant. He couldn't add anything to it, and he can't take anything away from it. But these Judaizers were there, and they wanted to add to God's grace, as if there's anything we can add to God's grace. Amen? God's grace is sufficient for us. It is sufficient for us. But they also wanted to take away from that promise as well. They had no right since they weren't part of the original agreement, this covenant. The law's purpose is to make us very aware that we fall short of the glory of God. And that drives us to the grace of God. Remember, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. The promise God gave to Abraham was finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus, through grace would release everyone, the Jew and the Gentile, from the curse of the law. Then verse 17, it says, What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. God made a promise to Abraham through his seed, which is Jesus Christ. And everyone who believed would receive this grace through him. The law was given 430 years later, and it did not cancel or change this original covenant that God made with Abraham. The law could not take away the promise and the blessings of Christ. The law cannot change the promise as well. Now, Paul is about to show them, since that we are in Christ, that the blessings that come to us is neither given because we keep the law or taken away because our failure to keep the law. 
The law is completely irrelevant as it relates to the blessings of God and his promises. What a fabulous truth that is, isn't it? So we had to keep the laws, where would we be? And then verse 18, it says, For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. I love that. Don't, don't you love that word? But God. How many times are we in a situation and it comes out, but God. Because of God, but God. I love that. God's promise with Abraham to see is still there for us today. This account of the giving of the law was so impressive. In Exodus 19, it's so impressive as there was thunder and there was lightning and the people were trembling with fear. And even Moses was shaking in his sandals. It says in Hebrews 12, 21, the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear as Moses was getting the law. The promise, not so impressive. It wasn't so impressive like this. The externals were not there. But the giving of the promise has everlasting internal ramifications that are awesome for us because it's about grace and our salvation. In Abraham's day, when two parties wanted to seal an agreement, they would cut an animal in half and they would meet each other in the middle. What they were saying is we're dead serious about this. We're going to meet in the middle after we do this. In uh, Genesis 15, 9, it says this. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged them the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcass, but Abraham drove them away. So Abraham did what God asked him to do, and he waited for God to show up, and he waited and he wondered. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder where God's at in the circumstances of your life? Do we ever wait and wait and wait for God to show up? Well, we know while we're waiting, we're growing. We're growing in Christ as we wait for him to show up in the circumstances of our lives. But it says that the birds started to swarm around the carcass, and Abraham shooed them away. Time went by, and his eyes got tired, and he fell asleep. And later he woke up, and what did he see? He saw barbecue. God was there. God went through the whole thing. He did this while Abraham was asleep, and he moved through the whole carcass. God did not meet Abraham halfway. God did the whole thing, saying, Abraham, this promise that I'm giving you is not based on you agreeing with me or you doing your part. It's about what I'm doing. It's all about grace. And I'm even going to do it while you're asleep. And that's just what he did. God still does the heavy lifting for us today, doesn't he? God does that heavy lifting in our lives. Our salvation and the blessings that are poured out upon us each and every day, the work of the Holy Spirit as he flows through us in our ministries, it's all for God's glory. It's all for God's glory. It's not about us, not about what we can do. It's about what God's done and what he's going to do in our lives. But you might say, 
but don't we have a part to play? Well, I'm glad you asked because we do have a part to play. We do have a part to play. And our part is to get rid of those birds, those birds of unbelief and the doubt that will come. These birds that will come and they will pick at the promises of God. And whatever God says he will do, it's a fact. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by, to us by the glory of God. Amen? Yet the vultures of doubt and the buzzards of cynicism will come and speak. Did God really say that he's going to promise you that? The enemy is always wanting to attack God's word. Always. And God's word is the foundation by which what we live on. And we live by the promises of God, not the explanations of the world. But they'll say, God's not going to use you, is he? He's not going to bless you. Have you been praying enough? Well, our part is to chase away those birds, to chase them away on our worst day when we're not feeling like we're good enough and we haven't prayed enough and we feel like we're unlovable to people. We need to say to the Lord, Lord, it's not about what I can do or what I will do. It's about what you have already done and what you will do. That grace that I can receive through faith by believing in Jesus Christ. Lord, you have told me you would supply my needs according to your riches. You have told me that you would never leave me and that you have prepared a place for me in heaven. And your word said that you would provide me with the Holy Spirit. Our part is to claim the promises of God. Claim those promises. That's our part. The point is, the law is not greater than God's promises. Live by faith in God's word and his promises to us. The law was given in this dramatic event in comparison to the covenant with Abraham. And of course, these Judaizers were so impressed with all these emotional external events that were happening, all the things, the lightning and the thunder. And sometimes don't we get excited? Like if we go to a concert or a show and there's all the lights and the fireworks and everything is so exciting. And we miss what really is going on there. Remember, didn't the people want Jesus to show them miracles? They wanted to show. They wanted to be entertained. And Paul's saying here, I'm not going to entertain you. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you. And he will point out that the law is inferior to the covenant of God's promise in two ways. And he will answer the question of why the law was given in the first place, in verse 19, it says this. Why then was the law given at all? It was added to because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise refers has come. Have you guys ever drove down like 95 at like 80 miles an hour? Anybody? Or is it just me? Am I the only one that does that? And I'm driving, I'm thinking everything's good until I see the speed limit sign. And that speed limit sign says 70 or 55. And now I know that I've broken the law. And that's the way that God's law was for us. It was pointing out to us what was wrong in our life. 
the important point of why the law can only diagnose sin and show us our sin, it couldn't cure it. It can't cure our sin at all. God gave the law for both our good and for his glory. It was for his glory because because of sin, the law was given until Jesus Christ would come and take away the sins of the world. And Paul points out the first thing about this. He says this, the law is temporary. It's only temporary. In Romans 8, 1, it says this, Therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. We're set free. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. A temporary law cannot be greater than God's promises. The blessings of the law were dependent on people meeting certain criteria, certain things, and certain conditions. But the law was terminated until the seed, Jesus Christ, would show up because it was temporary. And when we read God's covenant with Abraham, we see no what-ifs, nothing conditional in that. There was nothing conditional at all about grace. The law was conditioned a conditional covenant based on the performance of the people. Grace is not, amen? It's not about what we can do. The very need for the law points out that we have a problem. The law was done away with, and now its righteous demands are fulfilled through Jesus Christ with his death and resurrection. In Romans 7, 4, it says, So my brothers and sisters... You also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. That's life through the Spirit. And then it says, The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, and here it is again, but God is one. The second thing that Paul points out is that the law needed a mediator. It required a mediator. In Acts 7.53, it says, You have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. The law guides us, but it does not bring us to obedience at all. When God gave the law to Israel, he did, not, he did it by the means of angels and through a mediator, and that was Moses this means that the nation of Israel received this law from third hand, from God to the angel to the Moses. When God made this covenant with Abraham, he did it personally, right to him without a mediator. In verse 20, it says, A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. God is one, therefore there is no need for a go-between. 
But these Judaizers were so impressed by the incidentals of the law, this thunder and lightning, all these things that were going on. But Paul looks past all that. He's telling us, I know the law, and I'm telling you, we're going to look past that. The law cannot save you. All these exciting things that were happening, all these things, they meant nothing. And Paul looks past the externals to the essentials. And the essentials are very simply that the law was temporary until Jesus Christ came and it required a mediator. And most of all, the law could not save you. The law could not save him. The promises of God was permanent and no mediator was required. The covenant promise of grace was greater than the law. And then verse 21 says, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given... that could impart life, then the righteous would certainly have come by the law. You can almost hear these Judaizers, right, shouting out, is then the law against the promises of God? Is God contradicting himself? Paul's saying, of course not. And they're like, does the right hand know what the left hand is doing? The law is not opposed to the promises of God. Paul reveals his deep insight into God's word and the ways and the purposes of God. You see, we can either receive righteous standing before God by simply believing what God says and receiving Jesus Christ into our life by faith and receiving grace, Or we can try to keep every point of the law. And if there was any legal system that could bring salvation, it would have been the Ten Commandments, right? The only problem with the Ten Commandments, you can't keep them. You can't keep the Ten Commandments. Rather, the law is there to help cooperate with the promise of God in fulfilling God's promise. While the law and grace seem to be contrary to one another, if we go deep enough, we'll discover that they actually complement each other. The law was not given to provide life. The law regulated their lives, but it did not and could not provide a spiritual life to the people. God's promises are received by faith, not earned by the works of the law. We can't do that. In Matthew 5, Jesus is saying, what did he say? He says, love your neighbor, love your enemy. Do we love our enemies? Do you love your enemies? If you don't love your enemies, you're guilty already. I know I'm guilty of it. What about our promises? When we say promise somebody is our yes, our yes, our no, a no, if it's not, we're guilty already. We're guilty. We can't keep the law. The law was holy, and it's just, and it's good. In Romans 7:12, it says this, So then the law is holy, and the commandments is holy, righteous, and it's good. If life and righteousness had come through the law, then Jesus would have never died on the cross for us. But Jesus did die on the cross because the law could never give the sinner life and righteousness. You know, the law was given to reveal sin. The law shows that a sinner his guilt. But sometimes man starts to think, I don't need to receive grace because you know what? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. And I don't need that. There's books that have been written that I'm okay. You're okay. We start thinking all these things and we start thinking, maybe I don't need grace. I'm okay. I'm pretty good, right? 
Well, God's word tells us that no one is righteous. We're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because we're unholy, unjust, and we're just plain bad. We are. We're just plain bad. We're all sinners. But the law doesn't make us sinners. In Romans 3.20 it says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sights by the works of the law. Rather, though through the law we become conscious of our sin. The law reveals to us that we are already sinners. And grace shows us the forgiveness we can have in Christ. Amen. In verse 22, it says, But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. God sought all of us out, right? But in order for us to realize that we needed to be sought out, the law was given to us as a mirror saying, Take a look in the mirror. And I can tell you what I see when I look in the mirror I see a mess. I see a mess in that mirror. On my best day, on my worst day, I'm still a mess. And the awesome thing about it is, is when nobody could love me or I think I'm unlovable and things haven't gone the way that I want them, the good thing is that God loves messy people. He loves messy people. And what God is saying is through your mess, I have a Messiah And that Messiah has a message, and that message is grace. That you believe in Jesus Christ, and that you will have salvation through him. Receive him into your life, because he's saying, you're my children, and I love you. It doesn't matter what we've done. It's not about what we're going to do. It matters about what Jesus has already done for each and every one of us. It's about the grace The law is a mirror that helps us see our dirty faces. All the law does is tell us that we're sinners in need of a Savior, and that's why it was given. You see, the promise given to Abraham preceded by centuries, the law that was was given to Moses. Why? Because grace came first. Grace came first. Is here we see the way that the law and grace cooperate together, bringing the lost sinner to Jesus Christ. That's why the law was given. We don't wash our face with a mirror in the dark. We need to be in the light. And 1 John 1, 7 says it. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's grace that provides the cleansing of our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, there is a lawful way to use the law, and there's an unlawful way as well. In Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11, it says, We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and the rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, and the unholy. The lawful use is to reveal sin and cause men to see their need for a Savior. The unlawful use is for us to try to achieve salvation by keeping all the laws. The law concludes that all men are under sin, Jew and Gentile alike. And if we're all under sin, since we're all under that sin, then everyone may be saved by grace.
God does not have two ways of salvation. He has just one, and that's faith in Jesus Christ, to receive him into your life. In verse 23, it says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that has come would be revealed. So the law was a guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. The law was given to prepare the way for Christ. It was given to prepare the way for Christ until the seed had come. Our walk is based simply upon believing what God has said and receiving his promise and resting in what he has already done. It's not about what we can do. It's not about if we work harder or try harder. It's not about that. It's about receiving Jesus Christ and his grace into our lives. I'm going to ask Mike to come up as we're going to have one last song. You know, for the people of Israel, the law served a very valuable purpose. It helped them to understand the nature of their sin and their need for redemption. And it guided them until the promise Jesus Christ had come, whom God would bless all the nations. And for us today, the law continues to serve a valuable purpose. It's for our learning, it's for our wisdom, and it's for spiritual profit that we can continue to grow. While we rejoice in the salvation now offered through faith in Christ, this should inspire us to likewise walk in steps of faith, to walk in the Spirit. It's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Jesus is about a heart condition. And that heart condition, that relationship is influenced by our hearts. It's not influenced by rules and laws. And right now you have a choice. You can have that relationship with Jesus. If you've never had that relationship with him, if you have not received that grace and you are still bound up by the strongholds, if you're still thinking that I'm a good person and I can continue to work and I can be better, it's not going to work. Just receive Jesus. It's all about what God has already done for each and every one of us. I want to give you an opportunity that if you don't know Christ today and you've never received that grace, that free gift, I'll give you an opportunity today to receive him. Say, Lord, I'm not good enough. I never will be good enough. But your grace is sufficient for me. If you'll bow your heads and pray this prayer with me. Father, I thank you for your son, and I know that I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. I want to turn away from that. I believe that you died for me on the cross and that you rose on the third day, conquering death. And Father, it's not about what I can do. It's not about all of that or how it's going to get done. It's all about the who, and that's you. It's about what you've done already for me. And I claim your promises today because it's about your character and your faithfulness. And I am so glad that you are so faithful to us. And today I receive Jesus into my life and receive that amazing grace which only you can offer. 
Father, thank you, and I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.